0: This episode has been long-awaited and much-requested, Smarties. Today, we're going to talk about how to get started with writing. We can't tell you how often we hear from parents that their learners wait until the last second to start writing. There's a reason, Smarties. Getting started is hard. Add in how complicated writing functionally is, and of course, learners procrastinate getting started. As we were sitting down to write this episode, we realized how many different strategies we both use all the time with our learners. This is one of the many reasons we love doing this podcast. There are things that I, Steph, do, and that Rach does, and we didn't know, and we got to learn too. In this episode, we'll give a little overview of why writing is so challenging. But if you haven't listened to episode 10, ADHD and Executive Functioning, and episode 20, The Perfect Storm, Writing and Executive Functioning, we highly recommend you scroll back in your podcast app and listen to those episodes. Even if your learner doesn't have ADHD, these episodes will be really helpful for all learners in the writing process. Be sure to listen to the end of the episode where we share some big don'ts that we've seen over the years. So Smarties, you asked for this episode and here it is. Let's dig in.
1: You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi smarties. Welcome to episode 66 of Learn Smarter the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Rachel Cap and I'm Stephanie Pitts. Steph, we're having a morning. We are How often do you think we start episodes by saying something is happening behind the
0: scenes? (laughs) Well, we did two episodes last week and we were
1: both fine. Yeah, I know. Why are we both so extra today? (laughs) Maybe because it's Monday. Yeah, I'm drinking coffee into the microphone and Steph's like disgusted. (laughs) And Steph was just trying to record that opening and I was like, nope, (laughs) like every two seconds. (laughs) I think you were trying to do it with a cold read. Had you read it? No, I hadn't read well, it. Well, there you go. All right.
0: <laughs> but like a couple of things in my life, I haven't done what I'm supposed to, what I'm supposed
1: to do it's yet. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. What is it called? Just in time learning. Yes. Like we do things just in time. Yeah. We like to be ahead. And I have to say, we're recording this episode like what? A month before it's going to come out. Yeah. So we're still on summer brain. Yes. We just had a whole interlude over there, Smarties, about scheduling because it's Monday morning and our brains are not fully awake, but we're going to liven up the energy right now. Steph, take all the energy in.
0: (laughs) I'm taking it in. I'm getting there. Take it in.
1: We're just having a morning, guys. Okay. But you guys have asked for this episode a while ago. Mm -hmm. and we're sorry that we don't remember when it was asked for, but here, we're delivering it to you now, so you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So Steph, writing is probably one of the most common things that we hear from both parents and their learners, that writing is super challenging and it's a source of stress in the home and students wait until the last second. Why is writing so challenging for not just learners with something diagnosed or something going on but really for everybody.
0: It's really hard for everybody. I was just thinking is there anyone in the practice that doesn't work on writing? No, not really. There's a couple of kids that I only work on math, but occasionally there's some writing in there because even with math you do some writing. So, yeah. At the end of the day, We've said this a million times before writing brings everything together and it's the ultimate executive functioning challenge and task. So, you take all the different things going on in your brain, having to think about what you're going to write about, actually putting it onto paper, whether you're typing or forming the letters, your ideas, the order, the question that's been asked. Do you know what you're going to say? How do you make it sound eloquent for your age and your level, and putting in
1: transition words and commas and all of that? Attending to grammar, attending to spelling, attending to punctuation, attending to capitalization, all the things.
0: There's so many things going on at once. And that is why writing is so hard. And it's why so often we hear about our learners or learners in general that. Wait until the last second. Or they're the kids that definitely wait until the last second, but wait until the last second on purpose because they need to have that fire under their belly basically to get started and bust out an essay. I don't know how many times in college I waited till the last second because I knew it was gonna be far better if I wrote it at the last second than if I
1: wrote it far before. Would it surprise you that I never waited till the last second? No. <laughs> I finished my thesis senior year of college before spring break because I wanted to go on spring break and like not have to think about it. It was done way in advance. But this happens to be an area of strength for me, as we've talked about on the podcast before. And so we'll talk more in this episode about what to do if your learner is like staff and needs that sense of urgency. And we'll talk about how to create that for them. I do it a lot in session and I, stuff. I know you do, too. You. Mm-hmm. But the anxiety that's associated with writing, we call it between us and you guys, Smarties, we call it the blank page anxiety. We all know that feeling of looking at the blank page and it's incumbent upon us to fill it. You know what I can, like, equate it to emotionally? that feeling. Hmm. Steph, I don't know if you had this, but when I graduated from school, from college, and I remember saying this, I think I said it to my dad, like my senior year, you know, I'm going to graduate in May and then I see darkness. I see total darkness because I did not have a plan. My plan was going to a good school and making good grades. That was the plan. So then I saw total darkness and who had to fill that darkness in with something well, that was my job. Talk about anxiety. I wonder if anybody else can relate to this. Oh, that's interesting because that wasn't my experience at all. Did you know what you were going to go and do? Yeah. You knew you were going to go into education. hmm I think on some level, I probably knew that that's where I'd wind up. But I was exploring other things at that point, like nonprofit. I was already teaching. I was teaching too, though. Yeah. Like, I was teaching all throughout college. I was tutoring, and I was teaching religious school, and I was I was teaching, mm-hmm. but I wanted to make more money than <laughs> being a teacher, so... <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. That, to me, is the emotional equivalent of what our students feel when they're looking at the page, and then teachers will say, this needs to be eight pages, and that feels so huge to them. I'm thinking about high school students when I say that, but routinely... In high school, we had to write five- to eight-page papers. Yeah. So it built up over time, but the burden is heavy when you're looking at that blank page.
0: Yeah, and this is also why I chose programs college and graduate school, where I didn't have to write a thesis
1: on purpose. Oh, so you want to hear what's funny about that? So we were both sociology majors in undergrad, right? Yes. And I really wanted to double major in history. I love history. I had a great history teacher who we've talked about on the podcast before, and I ended up taking a lot of history classes. The reason I didn't double major was because as a freshman, I saw that the history majors at Berkeley had to write a thesis. And I, as a freshman, I was like, I'm not doing that. The idea of it was so overwhelming to me. And then overachiever, I wanted to graduate with honors. And the only way to graduate with honors in the sociology department was to write a thesis so I ended up doing it anyway but I couldn't have had the perspective at 18 to know that I'd be capable of doing that at 22 but I hear you yep and I had to write a thesis for the master's program as well but that didn't compare with my undergrad thesis yeah but I didn't have to so oh, I know because you just did the certification yeah 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 all
0: on purpose guys <laughs> all on purpose because that's how much I don't like writing those big papers yeah
1: yeah Anyway, on to the episode. (laughs) So with regard to the blank page anxiety, the one thing we tell all learners is to never start with a blank page. That means you put the prompt on the page. You're never looking at a blank Google Doc. We always recommend that students write in Google Doc. Mm -hmm. But you're never looking at a blank Google Doc. In fact, I have a lot of my learners put the prompt in the header On the page, because no matter what page they're on, I want them to be able to refer back to what's being asked of them as they're writing. No, that's smart. Oh, I haven't done that. That's a good idea. There you go. Yeah, I like it. (laughs) Put the prompt in the header so that it shows up on every page.
0: A lot of mine, though, don't get it digitally and have to type it out. So you type it out. Yeah, so sometimes that becomes a
1: struggle (laughs) with them. (laughs) they got it on a physical piece of paper. So now they have to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll retype the prompt for them. I don't care. Yeah.
0: Oh, I totally would, too. Yeah, it's fine. But it happens anyway.
1: And also they should be strong enough typers at that point to be able to do it. Look, everything that we're going to talk about today is totally applicable to younger learners. I have a feeling this episode's really going to skew for the older students who are writing these longer papers, don't you think?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, middle and high school, I think it's the same strategy. Yeah, I think our
1: examples are going to be more high school.
0: Yeah, examples are high school, but you can apply it to middle school very easily. Mm -hmm. So just so you all know. All right, so let's talk about the prompt. Oh, the prompt. So the prompt is so hard because so often there are no questions in a prompt. Yes. It's just sentences. And it's a lot of sentences. It's a lot of language. And dissecting it is hard. It really, really is. And I think this is one of those things that you've taught me too about Mm -hmm. taking it apart and making
1: it into questions. This is like the first big stumbling block for learners is that they're given a prompt, but it doesn't have an actual question that they can respond to. has a lot of exposition and like food for thought. Mm -hmm. And we have to teach our learners how to take these prompts And turn them into answerable questions. Mm -hmm. So shall we do an example? Yeah, I like this one. Okay. Because there's a lot of sentences in that one. Mm -hmm. And no questions at all. There you go. (laughs) Maybe we'll kind of walk through both, but we'll see.
0: Okay. During an earthquake, hurricane, tornado. Most of us do not have the time or presence of mind to do more than duck beneath a table or into a doorway. Afterwards, we may wish we have been able to save an object of sentimental value like a photograph or a childhood toy. Pick one thing you would want to save from destruction and write about it. Describe this thing
1: and why it is special to you. All right. So there are zero questions in that. Mm -hmm. This would be very problematic for a student who dislikes writing to begin with. Because what is even being asked, nothing's in a question. Mm-hmm. So let's break it down. During an earthquake, hurricane, tornado. Well, right there, which one can the student relate to? Because we want to narrow it as much as possible. Also, when you're coming up with questions, you're pulling questions out of the prompt, it is okay to have some that are yes or no questions and some that will allow for more thought-provoking questions. Ideas. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So which one is the student going to pick? So Steph, you're my student. Mm -hmm. Which one do you relate to? An earthquake. Cool. Obviously. So we just had earthquakes in LA, right? Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about those experiences? And by the way, this is just some ideas of how we would turn this into questions. Okay. So the earthquakes I wasn't here for.
0: So let's go back to the big 94 earthquake that I do remember very well. Sure. So the experience was at 4.30 in the morning, and it scared me. It woke you up. Yep. I was asleep. It woke me up. And it took me a little while
1: to understand what was happening before I could react. How old were you? 14. Okay. So you're absolutely old enough to understand what was happening. I was like six when it happened. Mm -hmm. But this is just me being interested in your experience in the Northridge (laughs) Quake. But do you see how much conversation we've already had from just that opening little part? hmm And it is okay. Let me give everybody permission that not everything you write on the page will end up in the essay. Yeah. Sometimes we're just going to ask questions to get language on the page. And it'll become very clear to us as we move forward. And once we take a step back and look at everything, what we're going to keep and what we're going to not keep. Mm-hmm. So let's go to the next part. So most of us do not have the time or presence of mind to do more than duck beneath a table or into a doorway. What do you do during an earthquake? Where do you go in your house? Has your family ever had a conversation about what to do during an earthquake? It depends on where you are, what time it is. What do you do if there's an earthquake at school? Right? All these other things that we can talk about because, Mm -hmm. by the way, it's always a good idea in a prompt like this that's personal, to start with a story. So listening that story and all this discussion that we're having right now, we're modeling what we would be doing in session with our learners because we want them to see how much they already know and have to say. Mm -hmm. And so as we're doing this, to give an example of like what I would be physically doing, I would be writing the question and then kind of jotting down some notes about what we talked about. As we're going, as we're having this conversation. Mm -hmm. Afterwards, we may wish we'd been able to save an object of sentimental value, like a photograph or childhood toy. What would be the question there, Steph?
0: Is there anything that you can think of off the top of your head right now that is the most sentimental to you, that maybe is in your room if it were happening at home, for instance? Or what's your favorite toy? Mm -hmm. Or... If it happened at school, is there something important in your locker or is there you know, something like that? Making a connection for them to something that they feel like is important to them, Mm -hmm. whether it's savable or not, Mm -hmm. because they could be at school when it happens and the thing is at home. Mm -hmm. But it's not really asking us to distinguish that, right? It's really
1: asking us what's important to us. Pick one thing you would want to save from destruction and write about it. So this is where... Hopefully, they've never had a real world example where they've had total destruction. We just had the fires in LA at the end of last year. Lots of people lost everything. Mm-hmm. And what are those people talking about? Yeah. What are they missing? I lost my summer camp, right? Yep. So there's a lot that I could say about what that place means to me and how to move on from this right? Mm -hmm. Describe this thing whenever you're given the luxury of a word like describe. I always encourage my learners to go to the who, what, where, when, and why and how. Mm -hmm. You can talk about where the thing came from. You can talk about where it lives. You can talk about how you interacted with it. Each one of these things that I'm saying right now is a question.
0: Yeah. And I also like to put in the senses when they're describing something specific.
1: Ooh, I like it. So
0: that. when you're doing descriptive writing, you're always going to want to use your senses to describe it as much as possible. So sometimes I put out a word list of descriptive words for them to use to pull from. Mm-hmm. Or I've had students in session when we're describing something, tell me about an item in the office and describe it using the senses, and I have to figure out what it is. So they'll write it out. Oh, I like that stuff. Oh, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, and I've had to figure out what it is. I like that. And that's kind of fun, too. So if you're working on descriptive writing, especially, I think, for the younger kids, the middle schoolers, Mm -hmm. late
1: elementary schoolers, it's a good exercise for sure. Okay, mental note. (laughs) So you want to write down almost everything that we just said in this conversation. You want to write that all down in the Google Doc.
0: And... It does not have to be in complete sentences. Let's remember that. Oh, no. Because a lot of times students want to write out complete sentences because we've been drilling that into them. Complete sentences, complete sentences. Answer the complete Always, always, always. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is a time where it's okay and actually a good practice to learn to not write in complete sentences. It's almost like unlearning something that
1: we've drilled into
0: them. And a lot of my students have a really hard time with it.
1: Absolutely. Let's remember that... I think we've done an episode on note-taking. Mm-hmm. We did.
0: Episode 47, note-taking.
1: Okay. So we talk a lot about unlearning complete sentences writing. Yeah. Because it doesn't serve us. And the same is true here. All right. So this is really critical. When you're writing out the questions on the page that you're brainstorming on, on the Google Doc, and the way I do it is – Literally, my learner and I are both looking at the same Google Doc. I use my computer. They use theirs. Mm -hmm. And you want to create space in between each question that you create out of this prompt. It's like a visual cue that you need to go back and fill it in more. Mm -hmm. Steph, this one was your idea to say the prompt in your own words. Can you talk a little bit about that? It's similar to when we talked
0: about word problems in that when you have to say it in your own words – and not use the language of your teacher, it really helps you connect with it a little bit more and understand it at a deeper level. So being able to sit there and say to a student, okay, let's take this whole paragraph, and now that we've broken it down, I would do this towards the end of this conversation. In this particular scenario, I would. What is it really asking? And I would sit there and say, with the prompt that we're working on, what's the most important thing to me that I would save? Mm -hmm. And... Really, that's what the question is. And all the other stuff in it is a lot of fluff. It's getting you to answer that question. But just like a word problem, there's a lot of sentences and things in there that don't necessarily make it so clear for students, right? So sometimes I do it at the beginning when we're first talking about it, when I can see that a student might not understand what's being asked. Or I'll ask them what it is at the beginning, and then we'll talk through it and then ask them again. So it just really depends, but I really like putting things in your own words. It really helps a lot.
1: I really like this. This was one of those gifts of doing the podcast. We've never had that conversation before. Yeah, that's true, huh? <laughs> How much are you doing that I don't know about is the real question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, and vice versa. I don't know. All right, so let's go into some other ideas. The brain dump. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. It's literally stream of consciousness, getting everything you can think of, and some things that probably don't make a lot of sense in the context, let's just get it on the page. Again, we're trying to avoid a blank page. And the stream of
0: consciousness also sometimes, I've had kids sit there and write, I hate that Stephanie is making me do this. Yes. In their stream of consciousness. I don't want to be here right now. I'd much rather be playing video games. And that's okay because eventually when they're writing, they'll get to it. Mm -hmm. It's like getting that
1: engine started.
0: Totally. All right, Steph. What's another idea? Talking aloud. It's
1: critical. We say so much.
0: Yeah, for sure. So for the learners who really struggle doing this in tandem with a parent who can note take or an educational therapist This is something that I do with a lot of kids actually where they talk and I just write stuff down for them. And it's amazing how proud of themselves they can be when they just are able to say it and see it on a piece of paper. When they don't have to go through the process and they can see how much they actually are saying Mm -hmm. when I write it. Mm -hmm. I've
1: seen some aha moments from that. Well, they can't believe how much they're generating. Totally. And this is something we hear a lot from parents is that My kid can talk for hours on this topic, Mm -hmm. but then they write three sentences. Mm -hmm. This is how you specifically combat this. So there's a couple of thoughts that I have about talking aloud. Learners can do it on their own with speech-to-text, but they have to be really good editors in order to use speech-to-text properly. When I'm writing down something that the learner says, if the student does not have a difficult time with editing and that's not what we're working on, I will use punctuation. Mm -hmm. If we're trying to get to the point in the writing process where we want the learner to be editing themselves, then I don't use punctuation and I don't attend to grammar and I try to write literally what they just said. But this is how, as the educational therapist, we have to make specific determinations about what's appropriate based off what is the goal of that particular exercise. Yeah. And I think we talk about this with Jenny Crandall. Oh, I bet we did. Yeah. Oh, by the way, everyone, the Word Problems episode was episode 45. The Jenny Crandall episode was what, stuff? I'm looking for it. <laughs> that was an on-air coaching call. And if you're interested in doing an on-air coaching call, hit us up. 55. We're linking all this, guys. So do not fret. <laughs> as we figure it out. Yes. As we go. <laughs> See? Trust in time learning. Uh, yep. All right, graphic organizers. I love graphic
0: organizers. So, a graphic organizer, for those of you who don't know or just maybe tuning in, it's basically a piece of paper that has different drawings or lists or things on there. And you can Google them, you can get books on them. There's a lot of different options, but I love graphic organizers because. It's like using a picture to map out your thoughts in a lot of different ways.
1: Steph, we have those great, like the big book of graphic organizers. We will link that. Yeah, there's two of them. There's one for little guys and one for older kids. We'll link that also. Those are some books that we really like using. And here's what you really have to know about graphic organizers. There's a million and a half online. Your learner needs to learn how to Google through keyword search to find what makes sense for them and then be able to learn how to determine which graphic organizer makes sense. That can sometimes be half a session when we're teaching that. But that is a lifelong skill. And if we're just providing them with the graphic organizer, for some students, that's totally appropriate. That's not what we're working on. It's so but true. we just want to remind everyone that sometimes that is what you're working on. Yeah, it's true. It depends. So after graphic organizers, another idea that really helps learners and Steph get started (laughs) is looking at an example.
0: Yes.
1: Teachers tend to be pretty good about this, especially as students get in the higher up grades, a little bit older, about giving an example. Sometimes they actually only give the example at the end of like, this is what it should have looked like. But Steph, can you talk a little bit about how an example
0: helps? I'm thinking about examples that I've wanted to see over the past, like how long it is, Mm -hmm. sort of what the gist of if I didn't completely understand the question sometimes, what it was really asking, or just what it needs to look like. Right. Sometimes I don't even need to read the words. I just need to see what it looks like, and then I can do it myself. It helps me in a lot of ways because I'm very visual, and sometimes I just need to have a framework and it gives me a framework. Love it. Yeah. I think another important thing that a lot of learners do, and it shouldn't start this way, is picking quotes first or having to start with a thesis first. Oh, no. Things like that. So you don't have to do all of that first. You can start writing about something that you think or feel about the prompt, and then you can look for quotes that will work rather than trying to build an essay.
1: Will reinforce Yeah, it. rather than trying to build an essay around quotes where there's no cohesion. I couldn't agree more. I can't tell you how often learners pick quotes before. Well, and it's sometimes because the teacher has identified it as being an important quote in class. Mm-hmm. So they want to include it in their essay. But when they have no structure built out around it, it's like, It's something that we're going to talk about. It's fitting that square piece in a round hole or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's so true. And it's so hard. And there's a
0: lot of wasted time trying to figure out how to make it work instead of
1: figuring out something that does work. Yes. All right. Planning ahead. Listen, the power of a timer (laughs) should not be underestimated. We said we would talk about stuff you would wait until the night before something was due because that forced you to produce. Mm -hmm. When I use timers in sessions with reluctant writers or students who like to wait until the last second, and I literally say to them, I'm setting the timer for 10 minutes. Don't even talk to me for 10 minutes. Produce something. Mm -hmm. And if it's what we said, which is, I hate Rachel. I wish she didn't make me do this. Yeah. Whatever. Fine. Fine. Because chances are, there's going to be one or two sentences that can spark an idea for something else. Mm-hmm. And lead some sometimes more. we just have to say we're going to work for this amount of time. I think it's called the Pomodoro technique. Yeah. <laughs> it's called the Pomodoro technique, where you literally just set a timer for a certain amount of time, and that's it. I actually remember. Did you have you read the Lauren Graham books? No. So Lauren Graham. She played Lorelai on Gilmore Girls. Mm -hmm. And she's written a couple books. And I've actually listened to them because I love her voice so much. She talks about using this to help her write. She started writing when she was on Parenthood, which is another show that I loved. And she used this technique that it didn't matter what she actually produced. But it was about putting time aside every day. And it's hard as a writer to know if you're being successful or not. And that was her like, factor that showed whether she had a good day of writing or whether she did not And by the way, you turn off the phone, you close everything else out on your screen, and you say you're just going to do this. It's like working out. You're not allowed to do anything else. Yeah. You just have to focus on yourself for that half hour Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's so true. And it works. Oh, I can't tell you. Sometimes I'll just spend the last, like, 15 minutes of session with a student who has to go home and write. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, you're just going to do what we've talked about now. (laughs) And then they've already started that whole process. And with certain students, I'm like, do not go home and do anything else. Your brain is already going. Mm -hmm. I expect to see a lot more when I see you next time. Mm -hmm. It's so true. Because of that.
0: It's so true. And the last thing that we like to do is I have some students draw a picture. This is primarily for the younger ones, but sometimes this will spark the idea or enough momentum to get started.
1: This was one of those things that you did that, as we were writing this episode, I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, yes, yeah. I didn't know. Sometimes it's really
0: just about getting some creativity out depending on what it is, especially if it's a more creative type of essay or learner. Yeah, or learner, and that can be a starting point. And really all we're talking about in this episode is a starting point, and what works. Yeah. So let's talk about the don'ts.
1: <laughs> the first one we wrote was, "Don't wait for a moment of genius. Just start. Yep. Don't wait to be inspired. Yep, because it's not going to happen. Nope. Don't start with a thesis. Big. Going back to that other one of like, don't wait for a moment of genius, that included in that is don't wait to feel like it. Yeah. You're never going to feel like it, right? I mean,
0: you're going to put it off until you don't have any more time to put it off. Right. It doesn't help. Yeah. Okay, so sorry. Don't start with a thesis. Don't start with a thesis because it's very hard to build an essay from there. So don't start with that. Start with what feels right in answering the question.
1: It's like a big stopgap for students that they think that they have to start with the thesis. You don't know what the thesis is until you start writing. Mm -hmm. You don't have to write it in order. Nope. Intro and conclusion are last. Yeah,
0: and this is something that blows a lot of students' minds. They just sit there and go, wait, what? (laughs)
1: <laughs> hmm
0: and so start with the body paragraphs and then do the intro and conclusion later
1: based off what you've already said yeah it's much easier don't force it yeah don't force it if you're trying to write a paper and it's feeling really laborious and you're trying really hard mm, you're probably not going in the right direction mm-hmm
0: That's what we were talking about with the quotes. If it's feeling really hard because you've picked these quotes that have nothing to do with each
1: other. You've become married to this idea that you have to use these quotes. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think the next big thing is keep it simple, right? It doesn't have to be complex. And one of us wrote the chef analogy and keeping the ingredients simple but doing it really well. And this is so true. That was you. Because in those chef competition shows – The ones that usually win are the ones that made the simple grilled cheese, but it tastes so delicious, it wins over all the complex things that have 45 ingredients. So keeping it simple and sticking to what you know is really
1: a good idea. And this is something that we've repeated in many, many episodes, but don't worry about the mechanics of writing on the first draft. Mm -hmm. And that means if you're a parent listening to this and your learner is starting to write something... Don't worry about it on the first draft. The whole point of that first draft is getting something on the page. Yeah. It's a very small goal. First draft is ideas only. It doesn't have anything to do with anything else. Exactly. All right, Smarties. Well, we hope this helps you in getting started. And head on over to our Facebook group, the Smarties of the Learn Smarter Podcast, and let us know. What are some of the strategies that you use? We gave you about nine, but we imagine that there's a lot more out there that we don't know about. So teach us too. Yeah. I would
0: love that. I would love to hear what you guys do or if any of these are things that you found that really help you. We would love to talk to you. Have a great week, Smarties. Have a great week.